Bridget. And this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And you might recall earlier this summer when the Supreme Court Justice Kennedy announced his retirement, everybody, myself included, was losing their collective minds. And here's why. President Trump gets to choose his replacement, and he picked Brett Kavanaugh, a conservative judge from the United States Court of Appeals for D.C. Circuit, often thought of as the second most powerful court in the country. One of the reasons people were freaking out is that getting to pick a Supreme Court justice is a pretty big deal. So this week, Kavanaugh is undergoing a pretty lengthy series of hearings so folks can get a sense of just who this guy is and where he stands on the issues. Yeah. <laughs> you can try to, yes, you can try to. Um, his confirmation hearing started on Tuesday. And here in the States and probably outside of the States, you might have seen some of it because it, it got a little wild. It was a little rowdy. Um, fun fact, I was supposed to go. And then at the last minute, I was like, can I really? I mean, I am, I am down for getting arrested for the cause, but I was like, hmm, I've got some like stuff in the works where I really want to get arrested now. Uh, maybe <laughs> I'll save it for later. Um, 70 women, including women's march leader Linda Sarsour and actress Piper Parabu, yes, that Piper Parabu from Coyote Ugly, were arrested on the opening day of this hearing. Um, and activists even dressed up like handmaids and sort of lined the halls to sort of make a very arresting visual statement of how they feel about Kavanaugh. Yeah, and Senator Chuck Grassley, an Iowa Republican who's the Judiciary Committee's chairman, pushed back on those calls, and outgoing Senator Orrin Hatch, a Utah Republican, at one point called for the removal of a, quote, loudmouth protester. Yeah, so it was definitely a rowdy scene, and I think one of the reasons why people are so vocal about, about their opposition to Kavanaugh is that this is really important. You know, I think it was Kamala Harris who made the point that this person's positions could very well impact the air you and your kids breathe, you know, the schools you and your kids go to, what medical procedures you can and can't get. So it's a big deal. And the fact that we don't really know a ton about him, and again, that's that's tends to be in line with a lot of judges. Like, if you remember the Gorsuch hearings, he was not someone who was super forthcoming. And the process of having to sort of you know, finesse information out of these people is is not unusual. But, you know, that's, why, that's one of the reasons why this is so frustrating because the American people deserve to know this. We deserve to know where this person stands on XYZ issue, how they feel about these rulings so we can get a sense of how they're going to, you know, how they're going to be in this position. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, without information, without knowing where people stand, it's it's weird because politics has become that, but it shouldn't be that. <laughs> but it fills me with an underlying sense of dread. That is no fun. <laughs> I don't blame you. Okay, so let's back up. Just who is this guy? Who is Brett Kavanaugh? NPR describes him as, quote, a connected Washington insider with roots in politics in the George W. Bush White House. Another thing to note is that he's only 53, so that means if he's confirmed... He's going to be on the Supreme Court for a long time. Um, Side note, RBG, girl, if you're listening to this, please continue your workout routine. Keep eating healthy. We're all rooting for you. Yes, we are. She's so tough. Another notable fact about him is that he believes that a sitting president 
should be protected from litigation and criminal investigations because they are, quote, time-consuming and distracting, and that a president who is concerned about an ongoing criminal investigation is almost inevitably going to do a worse job as president. Yeah, um, that's concerning to me. <laughs> During Wednesday's hearing, he backed off a little bit from this from this position that he had earlier publicly taken. But the fact that Trump is still under investigation did still play a pretty big role in his hearing. Um, and I gotta say, Kamala Harris, of all the different ways that senators tried to kind of get Kavanaugh to just answer a goddamn question, she really had him on the ropes. And the topic that really got him there was the Trump investigation. Here was one sort of rather explosive part of the hearing that happened really late Wednesday night. Conversation about Robert Mueller or his investigation with anyone at that firm. Yes or no? Well, is there a person you're talking about? I'm asking you a very direct question. Yes or no? I, I need to know the... Uh, I'm not sure I know everyone who works at that law firm. I don't think you need to. I think you need to know who you talked with. So, honestly, that, that, I find that clip to be so dizzying because, one, it just shows how, how the ranks that he will go to not answer this question. Two, I mean, it's a yes or no question. I think that Harris is so smart for framing her questions this way. But he, you know, he clearly doesn't want to answer it. Later on, an aide for Harris um, implied that they have information or that they, they suspect that there is some reason to believe he has had connection with someone from Trump's law firm about these investigations. But I guess, you know, TB, TBD, I guess we'll find out. But that clip really does illustrate to me that he is not someone who will just answer a question outright. Like, he will use anything. Like, he's very slippery. He's not forthcoming. Um, that was the first time he, to my knowledge, that he sort of got ruffled. Oh, yeah, it definitely was. It definitely was. Like, I stayed up to watch the hearing overnight, and so this happened pretty late at night. And the, in the, this morning, when I was looking at the paper, all of the headlines were, Harris gets him on the ropes. For the first <laughs> time, he was flustered, like, like this, like for he was visibly shaken when she asked him about this. I'm no expert, but it, it seems like he is making a point to not answer this question. Um, Senator Mike Lee from Utah basically steps in and is like, "Stop, stop! He's already dead." <laughs> and says, "And says Harris, you know, he can't be expected to remember every to know every person who was on this list of people who ever worked at that law firm." Which again, it, it it's almost like a I mean, that. That is not the spirit of the question. Like, it's, I think it's very clear what the spirit of the question is. If you asked me, have you ever had a conversation about XYZ with somebody who worked at XYZ, I would understand that question. She's not asking him to like list the name of every person who has ever worked at that law firm. It's almost sort of, um, it's almost like this red herring where she's asking what I think is a pretty clear question and he's responding, oh, I don't know the entire rundown of this law firm by name. And that's not really what she's asking. I think that uh, someone who is smart enough to become a judge knows that. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> um, that sounds like something children do to avoid answering directly a question when they're in trouble with their parents. Do you have any connections with the Russian law firm, Bridget? Listen, I can't be expected <laughs> to know the names of every person who has some connection to a Russian law firm. You know, I mean, 
I talk to people all day long. I just took a cab this morning. Maybe he had a connection. I don't know. I can't, I can't be in charge of who, who does what with their time. Message received. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I just said, no, of course not. I mean, again, she, and she asked it as, a, as a yes or no question. It's a very clear yes or no question. So I think it's very interesting that he had that response and was so visually freaked out by it. So one of my questions that, that I had kind of going into this episode is, do people actually like Kavanaugh? Um, when they first announced that he was going to be the nominee, I did see this really annoying meme popping up that was like, oh, he drives carpool with his kids. Yeah. He's such a nice guy. He's just a really good guy. And I thought, no one is accusing him of not being a good father or like not being a super sweetheart, you know? I mean, that's fine. But I also think that it's... Focusing on that almost sort of makes it seem like we're out of line for wanting to know his actual rulings and opinions and all of that. Like, I think it was Ben Sass opened his remarks, um, the senator from Nebraska, talking about how, oh, a lot of liberals would have us believe you're this terrible, terrible guy. I think they're crazy because you're so nice and all of your colleagues and all of your law school classmates all talked about what a nice guy you were and how, you know, how dedicated you were. And I thought, come on, like, people raising objections to his record or the lack of clarity and transparency around his record is not accusing him of not being a nice guy or a dedicated law student or whatever. And even, and even raising that is so disingenuous to me. And it's almost insulting to the American people that because people are understandably concerned that it equates like, oh, we're being, we're overreacting because we are, you know, daring to ask questions of this super sweet guy who drives carpool. Questions like, how would you rule on Roe versus Wade? Yeah, I, it's a job interview, and we sure you can be a nice guy, but are you the person for the job? Like, that's the whole thing. Can you imagine showing up to a job interview like at a bank and them being like, so? What's your background in banking? And you being like, whoa, 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 whoa. I drive carpool, okay? Everyone agrees I'm a nice person. Everyone agrees I'm a nice person. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a carpool person, and you know what that is, right? It's someone exactly. who carpools. <laughs> <laughs> An ABC News Washington Post poll found the public is evenly divided on Kavanaugh's nomination. He has among the lowest support levels for a high court nominee in polling going back to 1987. Six in 10 Americans also say that Kavanaugh should publicly state his position on abortion before being confirmed. Again, a completely reasonable position for the American people to take. Yeah, and I, I would hope that no matter what side of the aisle you fall on, you would agree with that. We just want to know positions. That's something you should know for something this important. That's right. And only two nominees have had weaker public support than Kavanaugh. Harriet Myers, who withdrew her nomination in 2005, and Robert Bork, who was rejected by the Senate in 1987. So throughout all of this, um, there's been some kind of not helpful practices. 
The White House has withheld more than 100,000 pages based on claims of executive privilege. And Democrats also complained that Republicans dumped 45,000 documents on the committee the night before the hearing, which was Labor Day, if I remember correctly. Yes! Yes, giving senators little time to review them. Yeah, that's no time at all. (laughs) Exactly. And here's my thing. It just goes back to this idea of transparency. He can hold whatever positions he wants to hold. He can you know, be a a judge whatever kind of way he wants to be a judge. We just deserve to know. And I think that the fact that they're making it this difficult for just to get information, to me, speaks volumes. I mean, people deserve to know. You know who was super not here for those shenanigans? I think I do. Kamala Harris making a really fiery speech. (laughs) This is a hearing about who will sit on the highest court of our land. This is a hearing that is about who will sit in a house that symbolizes our system of justice in this country. And some of the most important principles behind the integrity of our system of of justice is that we have due process and we have transparency. And true to form, when Kavanaugh was given the chance to speak, he really didn't say a ton. He has this way of really answering questions without really answering the question. He, he, I feel like I left that hearing without a better understanding of who he was, like who I thought he was when I walked into that hearing. I left with no clear challenges to that, that understanding that I had. The quote that I remember him saying the most was, I don't decide cases based on personal or policy preferences. I am not a pro-plaintiff or pro-defendant judge. I am not a pro-prosecution or pro-defense judge. I am a pro-law judge, which, What sure. does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, like that, like, that doesn't, what does that mean? That doesn't mean anything to me. Just saying, oh, I just follow the law, it is, it doesn't help me, and I feel like it's almost insulting because it, it, it pretends that he does not have this background in conservative politics, that he does not, you know, he can't go, he can't, as much as he probably would have liked to, and, and he tried to walk these comments back during Wednesday's hearing, he can't go back and erase the fact that he said that he thought a sitting president should not, could not be investigated for criminal wrongdoing while he's a president. He can't go back and erase that. And so to act like that never happened is, you just can't, you just can't do it, you know? And I think people have a right to, to know. And I guess that's, that's what makes me so angry about these hearings is how the Republicans they seem very exasperated. Like, how dare you ask these questions? When, like, we're, why are we asking like this? It's not a big deal. Sure. Um, and if the shoe were on the other foot, and it has been, <laughs> they would be complaining as well. We have some more, some more stuff to talk about here. Um, but first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. We're back. Thank you, sponsor. So again, one of the biggest issues with Kavanaugh is that he's not being clear on where he stands on really important issues, issues like Roe versus Wade. So the public is pretty much left to kind of piece together what, like his positions, how he might rule, what he thinks, all of that, based on opinions that he's that he's put out there and bits and pieces of speeches that he's done, which really is not a, I don't think is a good way of having to construct who this person is, who will have such a big hand in our democracy. Sure. 
And here's what Vox has to say. Much of the debate around Kavanaugh's confirmation has centered on what the judge really believes when it comes to Roe. His comments so far have been vague and are likely to remain so. But Feinstein said in her opening statement at Tuesday's hearing, the judge's record indicates he would likely be willing to overturn the landmark 1973 decision. Doing so wouldn't just strike an enormous blow to reproductive rights in America, she pointed out. Because of Roe's role in American law, overturning the decision could also threaten marriage equality and other freedoms. Kavanaugh reportedly told Senator Susan Collins last month that he considered Roe versus Wade to be settled law. But as Feinstein pointed out, that doesn't mean much since the Supreme Court has the power to unsettle the law. Yeah, and so him saying, oh, well, Roe v. Wade, that's settled law. Again, you know who was not okay to just accept that answer? Can you guess? I think I can. Kamala Harris? Yep. Here's what she had to say. Five justices, if in agreement, can overturn any precedent. Wouldn't you agree? Senator, there's a reason why the Supreme Court doesn't do that. But, but do you agree that it can do that? Well, it has overruled precedent at various times in our history. The most prominent example being Brown versus Board of Education, the Erie case, which overruled Swift versus Tyson. There so are we times. both agree. We both agree the court has done it and can do it. So, yeah, he can say, oh, this is settled law as a way to make us not, con- not concerned and not ask follow-up questions. But Harris is right. Calling Roe v. Wade settled law doesn't mean anything. The Supreme Court, as she points out, as he very well knows, has the power to change settled law. And, you know, I think that it's it's interesting that she has to resort to asking these questions in such a roundabout way because he won't just flat out say how he feels about these things. But, you know, I want to be clear, he's making it seem as if a Supreme Court justice does not have the power to overturn settled law if it's, you know, on the books. As Harris has has sort of gotten him to agree, that doesn't really mean a a lot. That doesn't really mean anything. Another reason that um, people are a little little suspicious or something that keeps coming up in this conversation of where Kavanaugh stands on Roe v. Wade and abortion is his ruling in Garza versus Hargan. In his dissent last year in the D.C. Circuit Court case Garza v. Hargan, Kavanaugh opposed a ruling allowing an unauthorized immigrant teenager to receive an abortion while in federal care. He argued that since, quote, the minor is alone and without family or friends, that she should be transferred to an appropriate sponsor before getting the procedure. In requiring the teenager to seek such a sponsor, Kavanaugh wrote, The government, quote, is merely seeking to place the minor in a better place when deciding whether to have an abortion. So you might be thinking, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. But here's what he also wrote in his dissent. He wrote that, quote, the government has permissible interest in favoring fetal life, protecting the best interests of a minor, and refraining from facilitating abortion, and that the decision to extend that right to an undocumented immigrant was, quote, as novel as it was wrong, So, I mean, you tell me, right? Like, this is someone who says, I'm not going to rule using my personal or political, you know, preferences or policy, blah, blah, blah. I rule rule along law. But I do think that the government has a responsibility to prevent people from getting abortions if they want them. So, I mean, you tell me. Again, I'm I'm no expert, but he said very clearly during this hearing that he 
was not someone who was going to allow his, you know, personal or political opinions to impact the way that he rules on things, that dissent seems to do just that. Like, there's, I mean, you can't kind of have it both ways in my book. Well, if you can, I certainly haven't figured it out. <laughs> None of us know how to have it both ways. I, that's what I think. Exactly. Um, and here's what Diane Feinstein had to say. This argument, Feinstein said at the hearing, quote, rewrites Supreme Court precedent. If adopted, we believe would require courts to determine whether a young woman had a sufficient support network when making her decision, even in cases where she has gone to court. So again, it, it might not seem, you know, saying like, oh, we just want the, we just want what's best for the minor. That sounds all well and good, but that could set a really tough precedent where even though the court said, like what happened in this case, yes, you are fine to get your abortion if that's what you want to do, go do it. That could set a precedent where the court could say, oh, well, she doesn't have friends around her or family around her. No, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that Feinstein is correct to, to point that out. And on Wednesday's hearing, Harris, once again, Harris, uh, tried to ask Kavanaugh some pointed questions about the law as it regards to women's bodies. And the exchange went viral. Can you think of any laws that give government the power to make decisions about uh, the male body? Uh, I'm happy to answer a more specific question. Male versus female. I'm not not thinking of any right now, Senator. So really, I mean, I've, I've watched both days of the hearings now. I don't feel like we found out that much about this man's record, that much about how, what kind of judge he would be. I feel like, again, the way that I went into the hearing feeling is, if anything, I feel like I've got, I, I, feel, I feel like he's squirrelier. I'm like, oh, he's squirrelier and weaselier than I thought. If anything, I feel less at ease than I did when I started watching the hearing. Um, another kind of clue that might give us some idea about this guy's positions is a 2017 speech that he made at the American Enterprise Institute. And it offered a little bit more insight into how he might feel about things like, oh, I don't know, abortion. Kavanaugh commended the opinions of former Chief Justice William Rehnquist in this speech, including notably Rehnquist's dissent in Roe v. Wade. Rehnquist was the minority in a 7-2 decision in the 1973 case, which guaranteed women's constitutionally protected right to an abortion. He wrote in his dissenting opinion that the prevalence of abortion regulations made it tough for him to argue that it should become a, quote, enumerated right. And concluded that barring certain restrictions, states should legislate the matter. In Kavanaugh's speech, he says, It is fair to say that Justice Rehnquist was not successful in convincing a majority of justices in the context of abortion, either in Roe itself or in later cases such as Casey. But he was successful in stemming the general tide of freewheeling judicial creation of unenumerated rights that were not rooted in the nation's history and tradition. And again, I hear that speech and I think it basically sounds like he's saying he really put an end to this idea that People just can have any old rights whenever they want. No, no, the rights that we need to protect are the ones that are rooted in tradition. Tradition, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, again, I think it's patently absurd that we're left to sort of piece together this guy's opinions on, on law it, it, through a handful of speeches, 
but he's kind of left us no choice. And I can't, I can't help but read that speech and think this is not somebody who is going to be invested in protecting, you know, my reproductive justice and my reproductive rights. Yeah, we shouldn't be having to like puzzle piece together from like little scraps we can find from his history. It it doesn't make sense, honestly. <laughs> it's not how things um a functioning functioning Supreme Court should should go about things, but you know, it's where we are. And we do have some more some more issues that are a little concerning, but first we're gonna take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So a few more issues that people are raising alarm bells on. Um, one is his record on guns. According to a piece by Hannah Sharir, the Second Amendment litigation director at the Giffords Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence, in a 2011 opinion, for example, Kavanaugh dissented from the decision of two Republican-appointed judges arguing that Washington's gun registration law and a ban on assault weapons violates the Second Amendment. Kavanaugh's illogical claim was that the public safety should play no role in determining the constitutionality of public safety laws. Um, mm. So again, yeah, it just it, it, I don't agree with that. <laughs> public safety should play no role in public safety laws? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's concerning. And it's especially concerning when you consider the fact that during the opening day of the hearing, Kavanaugh straight up refused to shake the hand of a father who lost his daughter during the Parkland shooting. And that moment really did go viral of this father. This father says he went up to him kind of father to father. And bear in mind, this is someone who for the first, you know, week of the news cycle when he was first announced as the nominee, we spent forever hearing about, oh, he's such a good dad, dedicated dad, drives carpool, don't you know, is the, the coach on the kids' team, like, him being a dedicated father was a big part of, ha- of the narrative about, you know, who this guy was. And yet when someone who lost his child, you know, tried to connect with him, he says dad to dad, he was really rebuffed. And I, and I, part of me kind of gets it. You're at a hearing, you've been being talked at for hours. That is part of the job. Cecile Richards didn't have a problem doing it, you know, when she was in a hearing, whatever. Um, but... Part of me gets it that, you know, someone comes up to you quickly and you're like, what's happening? But I also think once you hear someone say, if you want to be a Supreme Court judge and once you hear someone say, hello, shake my hand, my, my daughter was killed in Parkland, like to not respond, like his, he has this deer in headlights response that I just feel like whether or not he was just in a weird moment of what's happening, I'm being taken off guard or it was a it, what I believe it to be, and this father believes it to be, an intentional choice to not engage with him. Um, it doesn't look good. Yeah, here's what the father had to say. It would have been a way for one dad to look another dad in the eye, and maybe he would have asked me more questions about why I'm there. But instead, as soon as I said murdered in Parkland, he just did an immediate turn and went the other way. Yeah, it really just doesn't look good. You know, this is someone who lost... Their, their child. And if Kavanaugh was to become a justice, they, they, he would be ruling on cases that very well could 
you know, have an impact on that kind of thing going forward. And I think, yeah, it just, it just doesn't, it, it really, when I saw this clip, it like made me feel kind of almost like queasy when I saw this because it just doesn't look good. And the optics of, you know, this father standing there and Kavanaugh just turning away from him like glassy eyed, it just, it, was, it, it wasn't good. No. And um, something else people are concerned about is the Affordable Care Act because his nomination threatens that as well. The Trump administration has already made a botched attempt to repeal the law. They joined a lawsuit by 20 states that would, if successful, end the requirement that health insurers cover those with pre-existing conditions. The case is due to be heard in the district court in Texas and could wind up before the Supreme Court and Kavanaugh, if he is confirmed, soon. This means people with a very long list of conditions, things like acne, asthma, could have their health care threatened. So for some people, this is literally life or death. Yeah, it is life or death. I, I try not to be someone, like when I went into this episode, I was like, I don't want to be alarmist. I want to <laughs> put together what is out there. But I want to be clear, you know, for folks, folks like my dad who have chronic health conditions, you know, the Affordable Care Act saved my dad's life. And I think that people who, like people deserve to have their dads around if their dads can be around. You know, people deserve to have health care. People deserve to not, and I'm, I'm not even saying the Affordable Care Act is perfect because Lord knows it's not, but I think that we need to understand what's at stake. And so if you see that hashtag popping off, hashtag what's at stake, I think it's because I know that people, myself included, are fatigued. I know that we have stuff being thrown at us day. It, it feels like we have stuff being thrown at us day in and day out. You know, on Wednesday, the day of this hearing, that was also the day that this sort of bombshell anonymous New York Times article came out, supposedly written by somebody high up in the administration about how bad of a job our president is doing. This is coming from out, from inside of his administration. We are, I mean, he's under investigation, pussy grabbing. I mean, it's, it is a constant, constant, constant show of stuff being thrown at us day in and day out. So I get it. I get it. Part of me thinks that we have just sort of accepted that this is normal, but it's not normal. Our president is under investigation. Should he really get a Supreme Court pick with that being the case? Like, is that okay? And I think it's not normal. It's, I just think that we need to remind ourselves that, yes, we are hearing a lot of really absurd stuff day in and day out, but we can say no. We can make the choice to say, I'm not okay with this. And so if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, what can I do? We actually have some steps you can take. So first of all, you should be calling your senator. Um, I live in Washington, D.C., so I actually don't have a senator to call. But if you don't live in Washington, D.C., you should be calling your senator. Um, even if your senator is doing, is, is, you know, making a lot of noise, even if, you, if your senator is, is Kamala Harris, it's often a good idea to call them and, you know, you know, we sometimes we call it in the business thanks and spanks, where if they're doing a bad job, they get spanked. So you call them and say, I'm annoyed at you for not doing, for not blah, blah. But if doing a good job, they get thanks. And so you call them and say, keep up the good work. And, you know, so, so no matter where you live, um, this is a worthwhile endeavor, I would say. 
So if you want to call your senator, the number is 202-224-3121. You will be connected to your senator. You can, you know, it, it will determine where you live and it will walk you through the process. Again, I am not someone, I think, I think we both, Annie, we both feel this way. Talking on the phone is not oh, my favorite I thing. Hate it. I will <laughs> go out of my way to avoid it. The links I have taken. <laughs> oh my gosh. I want to hear more about like what you've done. Oh my goodness. To, to not talk on the phone. By the way, I read somewhere that they're actually toying with the idea of having an option on ride sharing apps where you can say, you don't want to talk. I know. Um, I, I, I saw that and I thought of you immediately. I was like, oh, is this the, is this the Annie, the Annie <laughs> Thank app? Thank you, call it that. Somebody listened to the show and was like, hmm. No, I'm certainly not the only person who had that idea. But if you go, if you're like Bridget and I, and you do uh, perhaps uh, avoid talking on the phone, don't like talking on the phone, you can go to blockbrett.com and they have a really handy tool and they provide a script of what to say, which every time I call a senator, or, or something of that nature. Those scripts help me out so much. <laughs> yeah, they definitely do. Um, some of y'all know for a while I worked at Planned Parenthood. And so if you were on Planned Parenthood's text or SMS uh, list, you got text messages um, from either from B from PP, <laughs> BT from PP, or uh, Bridget from PP. Hello, those are all me. I was not, I was not, I'm not actually a robot. I was a real person. <laughs> and what we found is that people were so, so, so much more likely to actually take the steps and call their senator if you made it really clear. So when you called that number, you heard my voice on a recording being like, hey, thanks for calling. Um, here's what you should say, you know, a, a complete rundown. So it is annoying if you hate talking on the phone and have phone anxiety. Annie and I are right yep. there with you. We get it. But this is so important and we really, they really do make it so easy. So Please, please, please make your voice heard and let us know. Like, follow, I, I want to know: Are you making these calls? Did you get through to your senator? Like, if someone if someone has an interesting response, I I want to know. I want to know how it went. Yes, we would love love to know. And um, I can say on a personal note, I I have um, post it notes everywhere. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Bridget, but I have post it notes everywhere that say this is not normal. <laughs> I have noticed. I've never brought it up because I wasn't sure if it was about Trump or something else. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to pry. <laughs> this this whole podcasting biz is not normal. <laughs> this is not normal. Um, but no, I mean it's it's true, and I do think we need those reminders. If you feel like you are losing it, you're not. This is not normal. None of this is normal. Remember Annie's post-it note. Yes. This is not normal. <laughs> they are. Everywhere. Um, so that is our Brett Kavanaugh episode. We are recording this like the Thursday after the second hearing, so things could change very rapidly. Yeah, expect a follow-up. Um, if anything explosive happens, we'll definitely do a follow-up episode. Um, but keep watching and keep, keep calling, keep the pressure on, you know, and we'll see how it goes. We're all on this ride together. We all live in this country together, so we'll see. <laughs> and to the listeners outside of the United States, um, thank you. Pray for us. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> thank you, and pray for us. And speaking of listeners, this brings us to listener mail. Stephanie wrote, I am interrailing solo through Central Europe and Scandinavia for four weeks this summer and, in ha and am having a fantastic time. 
I listened to your podcast in the Olympic Park in Munich, where I decided on the spur of the moment to go ziplining across the Olympic Stadium. I really enjoyed traveling alone for many of the reasons discussed in the podcast. I am happy in my own company. I love being able to decide my own itinerary and do things my own way. Most people in my life know that I am very independent and have no issue with me traveling alone. I haven't had anyone tell me that I'm going to be murdered, but a few people have tried to subtly ask, what about your boyfriend? As if once you have a partner, you can't travel alone. I thought what you said, Annie, about travel snobbery was really interesting. I am Irish, and as Ireland is a very small country, the vast majority of people have passports and have traveled outside of the country. While Ireland is a beautiful place, there isn't the attitude that Annie described there being in the U.S. of home not being good enough for you. Also, the bigger a country is, the more expensive it is to leave it. With cheap airlines such as Ryanair, you can get flights from Ireland to the UK and the rest of Europe pretty cheaply. It is completely normal for people to go to resorts in Spain, Italy, and France for their holidays. It can even be cheaper to go on holidays abroad than to stay at home in Ireland. I think where travel snobbery could come in, in our context, may be where you choose to go. It is seen as more adventurous to go to more far-flung places or places that are off the beaten track. Uh, Yeah, Um, I was lucky enough to, I interned in Europe for eight months and um, I I got to visit so many countries because Europe is... The travel situation is, um, it can be pretty cheap, pretty easy. And yeah, you can be in one country in a couple of hours, depending on where you are, uh, in in a different country from where you are. And I remember the first time I went to Ireland the uh, at passport control, at border patrol, the woman checking my passport laughed at me. <laughs> she was like, are you trying to check off all the countries or something? Like, yeah, yeah, trying to collect them all. Um, like Pokemon. Yeah. And that was kind of, nowadays, because the European Union, the Schengen Agreement, they don't really uh, stamp your passport when you go to a different country. But um, in the UK and Ireland, they still do. And it used to be sometimes if you asked, they would, but now I really wouldn't advise asking because they get pretty annoyed. Um, but I'm glad, I'm glad that your experience... Traveling alone has been so good, and uh, ziplining across the Olympic Stadium—that's that's pretty rad. Oh my god! The first so the first time I left the country properly was to um, go on a trip to Australia um, for this like big human rights training, and uh, when I, I so it was it was so I had been to a few places, but never any place like Australia, and never I don't think I was ever as an adult and never alone. And when I got there, they didn't stamp my passport, and I about had a fit. I was like, I, I was like, you were supposed to stamp it. They didn't stamp it. They didn't stamp it. They didn't stamp it. Like I, I was, I was like having a meltdown. Because um, there is, I mean, it's so stupid, but it it is like a little, I don't know. It's dumb, but it's just like proof. I wouldn't, you know? I wouldn't advise asking either, but it's, you know. <laughs> It's so stupid. Like, I can't even, like, I don't even have a response. It's, it's dumb, but I wanted it. Oh, I understand. I understand. I just know that, like, nowadays, I don't think you'll succeed if you ask, and they'll just be mad at you. <laughs> uh, can confirm. Can Perfect. confirm. Lisa wrote, I have struggled with an eating disorder since I was around seven years old. Seven. 
I have been in proper recovery for six months now, and I'm doing really well. But of course, the diet culture is still an unrelenting toxic force I'm faced with every day. I remember seeing the tip to eat in front of the mirror to disgust yourself many years ago. It never resonated with me until I saw it in a different light, on a truly body-positive account. I've used this practice as a way to make peace with my eating and my body. I've eaten naked in front of my mirror to appreciate the beauty and nourishment. Maybe this could be a helpful tip to other listeners struggling in this realm. Um, Lisa, thank you for sharing. I'm glad that you're in recovery. I'm glad that it's going really well. And I'm, I'm proud of you for taking these steps to, to get where you need to be. And I love this tip. I love the idea of eating naked in front of a mirror. Um, nourishment can be really beautiful. And I hope this tip helps others who are struggling. I do too. And I love how you took this tip. Which I, I mentioned in that in the episode we did around um, Kim Kardashian and eating disorders, um, that when I was younger, I read that you should eat in front of a mirror to gross yourself out. I love that you took that and made it positive. That's wonderful. Yes. Reclaim yeah. it. Reclaim it. Yes. Thank you so much to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Our Instagram is Stuff Mom Never Told You, and our Twitter is Mom Stuff Podcast. And thanks to our producer, Andrew Howard. <laughs>